It's a very flat experience. Human beings at the end of the day are not robots. You know, having a machine-like experience is entertaining, but as a daily experience, it's not that appealing. Hey there, James here, and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising, and branding, and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The On The Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service, complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to Budget, Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at como.tech. Today's guest is Deanne Campbell, a retail and customer experience consultant with years of experience building strategy and programs for the likes of Walmart, Costco, and Target. It's a fascinating time for brick-and-mortar retail. During the pandemic, e-commerce numbers as a percentage of total retail soared for obvious reasons. But now, a few years on, we've seen e-commerce's share of the pie revert to pre-COVID levels. In other words, physical retail isn't going anywhere and is just as important as it's ever been. But how should brick-and-mortar retailers think about competing with e-commerce? How can retail brands deliver compelling, engaging, and immersive experiences in 2023? And what role could technology like sensors and virtual reality play in shaping the in-store experience of the future? Deanne and I had a great conversation about all of these questions and more. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the show, Deanne Campbell. Thank you for having me. So Deanne, I wanted to have you on today to discuss uh, what it means to build a compelling retail brand and experience in 2023. That's obviously something you're very experienced in. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the current state of retail. We've just come out of COVID, obviously, which had a huge impact on both physical retail and e-commerce, of course, which continues to eat more of the physical retail's lunch. So give me the current state of retail. What's going on? Where are we at? What are you seeing out there? post-COVID? It's really interesting. You know, I'm seeing big changes in the customer experience and the customer journey. Customer journey has, has really expanded to include a multitude of online and offline channels. Shoppers have really come to expect that retailers are going to offer them support for their online and offline purchasing, their pickup options, fast delivery options. I think that retailers have done a really good job training shoppers to want it all, essentially. But this makes it really hard for the small mom and pop brand to succeed. And so what we're seeing is a lot of chain stores kind of taking hold and that becoming the norm in retail as opposed to the small, smaller local retail. That's a really interesting point. And I think I think that's something that everyone sees just, you know, walking down their high street. So what's your take on that? So how can a smaller brand that, you know, perhaps isn't a, a big chain, you know, what what do they need to do to cut through and compete in 2023? I think that proximity is important. You have to be well situated so that you're in the path of the customer. Uh, It's getting very, very difficult to get customers to go out of their way to go to a retailer. So you have to put yourself in their way. Interesting thing, though, is the options that are available to mom and pops are so much more interesting than they have been before. Partnerships have made it possible for small mom and pops to be in unusual locations. You can carve out a corner of a a restaurant or an office 
lobby. You can partner with another larger retailer and you can create a temporary pop-up. So there's there are a lot of great ways to get your brand physically in front of the customer or near the customer, even if you're a smaller brand. That's really interesting. So you mentioned big changes in customer experience and obviously sort of the yeah, the the omni-channel approach. Tell me sort of, you know, what's your take on how can retailers create that really seamless online, offline customer experience? Because I guess, you know, for a long time there was a a pretty hard dividing line there with, you know, what we called e-commerce brands and then I guess, you know, brick and mortar brands. But of course, you know, those lines have been, I guess by this point, sort of long blurred out. You know, what's your take on building a really compelling omni-channel experience? What does that take? You know, it's really interesting you use the word seamless. And seamless is one of those words that I'm not fond of. I think it's a little overused, but I also think it really sets up an unachievable standard. It's not possible to make channels truly seamless. You're going to know when you switch from online to offline, for example. There's going to be a little bit of a seam there. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think customers actually enjoy that. They, they not only expect it, but it's, it's part of the overall experience of moving across different channels and platforms as you're conducting your research, making your selection, experiencing the product and, and deciding what to do. And so it, it's not something to fear. Uh, different channels should be sisters, not twins, is what I like to say. That's a great line. But uh, the goal is really to focus, instead of being on seamless, is on keeping the customer moving forward along that path to purchase. You don't want them to have to backtrack at any point because that's where the friction happens. That's where they might change their mind or look for a cheaper price. So the most effective retailers really, they, they create points of similarity between those channels. So that there's always a sense of you're, you're at home, you're comfortable, I know where I am in this journey, and I can just keep on taking the next step. There's a, a few retailers that I think do a great job at that. Uh, Sattva is a mattress company, they have some stores, and they've been very purposeful in using graphics and colors in their stores that match their websites. So when you walk in, it feels very familiar as you look at their website. Integrating technologies like digital screens and and shelf edge so that you bring some of that technology into your store to match the experience and flow of things on your on your website is another another example. Um, Having access to staff through a chat, a mobile chat on your on your cell phone device is great. There's a company here in the States called Men's Warehouse that uh, you can speak to a, a staff person that you've grown to trust on your cell phone, even if you're in a different store that he doesn't work in. It doesn't matter where you, you are, you can access that specific individual if you like to. And Third Love is a lingerie company that has done a very good job of bringing their online fit technology into the physical store. So there's a lot of connection between the brands, so you're very comfortable. So you never really have to slow down as you're exploring the product. It's interesting. I, I had Tom Goodwin on the uh, on the podcast uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, who I know you follow on, on LinkedIn. And he, you know, I asked him, you know, what was his sort of uh, the, the trend that he thought was, you know, the most important going going forward. And he said, making it easier to buy. And I think that's sort of a lot of what you're saying there, which I think is is really interesting. Dan, I'd like to ask you about this idea of personalization, which you know, I know is a, a huge buzzword. What's your take on personalization and what that means for retail? Do shoppers want personalization or is this some sort of, you know, marketing trend that we've all 
convinced ourselves of in the boardroom. Tell me about personalization and retail. Personalization is probably one of the most important things to, to customers. It's also one of the most challenging things for retailers because we're really getting into an age where uh, first party, second party data is not that available. Uh, for first party, zero party data is not that available. So it's really important for your product, your brand to feel relevant to the customer, to feel like there's some relatable element to it. I think Apple's already pulled back from automatically gathering first-party data. Google's going to be doing it next year. So gaining access to that first-party data is going to be crucial. I think the retailers are going to have to learn to get comfortable working with very highly anonymized data. You're going to gather data through cameras, through sensors in your store, through tracking on your website, but it's going to be far less clear than it used to be because you're, you're not going to have that level of detail that security is now going to start preventing. So you're going to have to ve get very good at sussing out what certain behaviors mean. It, it's I call it criminal profiling. You're going to have to be really good at forensically detecting what the customer wants and almost reading their mind. This is where it's going to start to get interesting for retail though because AI is going to make that much, much easier. I think you're going to see a lot of very interesting personalization through AI analysis, almost in real time as a customer walks through their journey. The challenge to retailers also is going to be to keep that from being creepy. I know a friend of mine recently was getting hit up by a retailer trying to spam her with emails, you know, sales emails, sales emails. And it was a, a drugstore retailer. And at one point, she didn't respond to these emails of requests for uh, for her attention. So they said, are you feeling okay? Are you all right? <laughs> and that was the AI kind of forming some kind of hypothesis based on her activity and the products that she was buying. And wow. uh, that's just kind of, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's, you know, one of our big, you know, I guess the hypothesis moving forward is that, you know, as privacy regulation gets stricter and stricter, and at the same time, the technology gets better and better, there's sort of, there's an inherent clash or sort of conflict there. Um, you, you said something interesting there, Dan, which I want to sort of double click on, which is th that idea of sort of earning or capturing attention. What's your take on that? Because, you know, that image of, you know, the inbox filled with sales emails, I think, you know, we all can relate to that. And, you know, I was just speaking to a, a very credentialed consultant uh, who works with one of the big fashion department store retailers here in Australia about this idea of channel fatigue and that they're really starting to see that, you know, right, sending offers is just declining in effectiveness. Let's use the drugstore example. You know, how can they stand out and earn your attention rather than bombard you with offers? Do you have any sense of what brands should be thinking about there? Becoming part of an, uh, an ecosystem that is highly relevant to a customer, that's really going to be table stakes going forward. You see companies like CVS, they're forming partnerships with health companies and health services, wellness services, telehealth, dermatologists, all of these things that, that people kind of have to have in their life. They're attaching themselves to that. So now as you go get the things that you have to have and do the things and the services that you need, you're exposed to CVS naturally. So that is a really effective way. And that is really, if you're not part of an ecosystem as a retailer, 
you're really missing out on an opportunity to grow your customer base and to really be relevant in the eyes of your customer. And then getting really creative. And there is no time than now that it's ever been easier to get creative. You have tools, you have free tools, you have cheap tools, you have freelance people to help you for very affordable amounts all over the place. And so really um, using humor, using relevance, using concern about the environment. There's a chocolate bar company, Tony's Lonely, and they really focus on not using slave labor. And that's part of their campaign. So it really stands out. And, and direct mail, mail getting, getting stuff in your mail, that kind of went away. It's starting to creep back because it's different. It's something that stands out as well. There's something sort of, yeah, there's something very sort of humorous about, you know, what's old is new again. Yeah, I know in our world, it's been very much the same that, you know, right, newsletters went out of fashion for a while and now they're sort of the, the hottest thing because, you know, your feeds are just, you know, the feeds you scroll all day are just bombarded and you're, at least for some of us, I guess the inbox is still holy. It is. And it's going to get a lot harder. I think when you, when you get lots of spam in your email, it's easy to just close the email and ignore it and it doesn't bother you. But when you start to be bombarded as you go about your day, that becomes a little bit more exhausting. And so it's going to be a very fine line to navigate between wearing your customer out to the point where they kind of go home and go fetal and becoming truly relevant as they go about their life. So gamifying it. So when they play online games, there's something there that's interesting and not offensive or not annoying to them. When you uh, go to the doctor, there's something there that you find interesting and kind of fun to read. So really playing that line carefully is, is going to become a finesse game. And retailers typically haven't been good at finesse. So it's going to be, it's going to be some interesting times, I think. Why do you think that is the case that they haven't been good at, at that historically? What, what's changed in the world, I guess, that has sort of you know, forced their hand? It is really, it comes down to their operating model. If, if you look at a typical business for past two centuries, the business has been highly departmentalized. So you have the marketing department and the now the IT department. At one point, it was probably the horse and carriage department or whatever and leadership as well. And all of these departments have functions that keep them turned very inward. They don't communicate well across those departments. Well, now with technology and with the need for data and the need to move much more quickly and the rapid rate of change that we're experiencing, that cross-departmental communication is becoming essential, absolutely critical. And retailers, it's new. And so there's a learning curve. And they're going through that learning curve. But they're going through that learning curve of how to talk across each other's departments and how to integrate and share data and not compete for, for budget dollars. But they're going through that at the same time that they're having to add new technology, uh, learn to navigate new communication channels with the customer. They're, they're going through times when there are some serious issues as well. Marketing teams have to struggle with influencers who have mental breakdowns on the air. And um, it, it's learning how to deal with all of those things simultaneously. And that's why they're not really good at it. I don't think anybody would be good at it. But it's really just a matter of giving them a little bit of time and space and they will figure it out. 
Yeah. So you mentioned technology there. What's your take on, tell me, what, what are the most interesting sort of relevant or maybe, you know, even overhyped trends in retail technology? I'd be curious to, to sort of hear your take on, because I mean, I, I guess the reason for the question is, you know, walking into a store today is not at all that different from walking into a store 20 or 30 years ago. Will it be like that 30 years from now? Or do you think, you know, things will be radically different? Tell me sort of what, what role is tech playing in, in retail now and moving forward? I think it's going to be pretty radically different in many ways, but not in every way. So right now, technology and, and automation is, is really a hot topic. Trying to figure out how to reduce your staff, not have to rely on staff because retailers are having troubles hiring and retaining staff. There, there's a misconception that technology is a replacement for humans in retail stores. You really can't replace a good employee with elevating the customer experience and growing your sales. And so how do you integrate these two things? And that's where they're not focusing enough time and attention right now. I look at things like self-checkout, for example. Self-checkout is something that uh, allegedly customers want. It's supposed to save you time, reduce queues, but it actually does the opposite. If you go to any grocery store with a self-checkout, the lines are long, the wait is slow. Every time your product code doesn't scan properly, you have to wait for a person to come over and, and help you. So if I look at companies that are doing that well, there's always a human factor that's integrated right into the solution. There is a company in the US called Costco, a big warehouse retailer. Uh, they have a person at almost every self-checkout. And so this, the checkout experience is incredibly fast. So what's really, to me, more important is now uh, the kind of the mundane aspects of checking out, scanning, and those are now taken off of the employee's shoulders. So they can really focus on customer experience, on chatting up the customer. How was your day? Scanning the heavy items so the customer doesn't have to lift it up and they feel really well taken care of. And when you think about it, that's the last experience they're going to have in your store. So making sure it's a good one is really the best way to sell your brand. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and so what do you make then of, you know, I guess I've read Amazon are testing, you know, these employee-less stores in the US. I think actually maybe there's a um, there's sort of a convenience store chain here testing it as well. Um, what's your take on that? Is that sort of a, um, you know, a sort of flash in the pan or is that sort of here to stay? Who does that suit? Who doesn't it suit? Tell me, what do you make of the employee-less store? I think it's a test, and I love tests. I think they're important. I think ultimately it's a little bit easier in a convenience store environment because you're you're not buying hundreds of items or dozens of items of stuff. But if you look at those stores in the U.S., they're closing as quickly as they're opening because they're really not working that effectively. The technology is great, but it's not excellent. And I think the technology has to get a little bit better. There's still too many mistakes. There's uh, the possibility for theft. But there's also, it's a very flat experience. And human beings, at the end of the day, are not robots. You know, having a machine-like experience is entertaining, but as a daily experience, it's not that appealing. And sometimes you don't even realize that it's not not rewarding to you. You're thinking, oh, I've got to go to the convenience store. And you go through that experience and you don't think about it. But then if you go to a store that has an employee and, and smiles at you and says, how was your day? It's a much easier experience. 
you come away feeling energized from that experience. You didn't come away from the uh, employee-less store, the automated store, but you don't necessarily understand why. And so that's really the challenge. Stores like Amazon are coming coming through right now, and customers want to try it out. Looks interesting, but it's it kind of leaves them flat, and so they don't necessarily feel motivated to go back. Right, and I guess look, I mean, Amazon is sort of a different beast, I guess, in many ways. Right, they you know, I guess in some ways they're sort of approaching that retail strategy from a totally different angle because yeah I, I think that makes a lot of sense that you know that human connection is ultimately still what you know we all desire and and crave and so you know I can totally see that taking that away will lead to I mean basically no brand affinity or loyalty or or anything okay that's really really interesting it, retail should never be a low cost game if you're into that game you're losing it and and unless you're a high volume dollar store it's not something that is going to make you enough of a profit margin. And so so creating an experience that resonates with a customer so that you can justify, I don't want to say justify higher prices, but your product is worth the higher prices that earn you profit margins that you need to achieve. That is really critical. Make it worth the customer's while to either be on your website, on your your uh, social media page or in your store. Interesting. What are some of the more novel or like interesting takes on, if we stick to physical retail for a moment, that you've seen? You talked a little bit about ecosystems, partnerships. I'd be curious to just get some examples, if you have any, of sort of this idea of, you know, what what can a different retail experience look like in the future? I mean, apart from maybe things like checkout, are, are there other things that spring to mind for you in terms of really sort of changing, I guess, like the format or, you know, what what a story is. Does anything come to mind? It's really not a one and done answer. I think what we're going to see is bundling of technology and retailers are going to get much better at that. When, when you think about using RFID codes and bundling that with uh, shelf talkers or shelf edge digital screens, marrying that up with some other in, in-store digital screens, QR codes, and, and a mobile phone that has a great app, maybe some AR experiences layered on, and you, you bundle those together, that's really going to be a meaningful, powerful experience for the customer. And I think that's going to become the standard. And so you're going to see a lot more of a need to have 3D scans of your product so that you can use them in AR applications so that an employee can actually perhaps pull the product up and look at it, view it outside of its packaging without actually having to remove the packaging. Things like that are going to become very, very important in the future. Yeah, I, I can imagine there are some really sort of, I, I was about to say simple, you know, they're not simple, but I guess they sound simple. Things like trying on shoes without trying them on. I guess you could just, you know, hold your phone up against your foot and switch out the shoes and and all those sorts of things. But tell me, I guess like the question on my mind as we talk about things like that is, you know, are customers driving that or is that a technology change driving that? I'm just curious to sort of understand the dynamic between, you know, we have all of this great technology and we need to apply it somewhere versus, you know, how, how much of this is actually that customers, yeah, I want to buy shoes without taking my other pair of shoes off. Tell me what, tell me about that dynamic. Oh, I love that question. That is like the chicken and egg question. That is exactly what it is. Let's look at um, rapid delivery, for example. Uh, same day delivery, in now where they're trying to figure out one hour delivery. Customers never asked for that. That's something that retailers dreamed up to differentiate. Amazon started that whole ball rolling. 
And, and in order to keep up with Amazon, other retailers piled on. And now it's become a standard and customers have been trained to expect it. Free returns. There's another thing that uh, customers have been trained to expect and, and retailers are struggling with that. It's really hurting their profits. They're trying to start pulling back from it. But after you've trained your customer for that, what are you going to do? And, and that's really what retailers are doing with technology as well. They're trying to find ways to differentiate, trying to find ways to streamline their operations to make, uh, to, to use less staff, to pull back on some of that human investment because it is, it is expensive and it's hard to manage. But automation is much easier to manage, much more reliable. It can work 24-7. Um, so they're trying to figure out how they can leverage that, how they can differentiate how they can do something their competitor doesn't do and how they can maybe offer some kind of technology that, that binds that customer to you. Uh, look at Starbucks and their app. That app is so user-friendly, so easy. I use it even when I'm sitting in the store <laughs> instead of going up to the counter. <laughs> That's fascinating. And it, it's, it's hard for me to go to a different coffee shop because they don't have that app. <laughs> um, so that's really the secret sauce. But that's the retailer driving it, not the customer. Mm, yeah, there's the, you know, it's the, I don't even, I, I think it's been debunked that Henry Ford said it, right? The data have asked for faster horses, quote, or whatever. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me that sort of, you know, technology sort of sets expectations, which become commoditized. I wanted to ask about loyalty and retail. I Again, going back to Tom Goodwin, we had a really fascinating chat about a lot of these topics. And he was sort of critical of the idea of loyalty in retail and instead wanted to frame it around, you know, most people are really just repeat purchases of a product or a brand. They, they might not actually be loyal. Tell me, how do you see the difference between, you know, a repeat purchaser, I guess, based on habit versus like true loyalty? And, and how do you think retailers should be approaching loyalty and loyalty programs that, yeah, I wish I'd been on part of that conversation, and <laughs> I really love what he has to say. You know, Tom has strong, uh, yeah, strong opinions. Strong yes, opinions, I agree with some know, of them, yeah. and, but not all of them. Um, I, I, I do think he's right about loyalty. I think loyalty is a misnomer. I, I mean, loyalty to me means you're going to stick with that retailer or brand through thick and thin, and that's simply not the case. You are going to stick with that retailer or brand as long as the price meets your needs. You need the product. The product quality meets your expectations. There isn't something else that's easier to get. You're, you're not having to go significantly out of your way. There is um, a lot of talk about convenience, but the definition of convenience has changed in the past decade. Used to be convenience was something that was quick. So it's very fast. You do it, it's, it's done, and, and it, it doesn't take a lot of your day. Today, it actually doesn't relate to time so much as level of effort. And so when you think about, I guess if you want to burn a certain number of calories, you have to run 15 minutes or walk an hour. You're probably going to walk an hour more often than you're going to run 15 minutes because it's less effort. It's more accessible. And retail is the same way. People will, will spend more time on something if it's less effort for you. So that's really the driver, I think, for loyalty is making it as easy as you possibly can, not necessarily 
as fast. That's why the Starbucks app has been so effective because it really is effortless to personalize your drink as much as you want. But it's not super fast. There's not a one button thing. There's several steps you have to go through. Right. That's fascinating. Again, it, you know, we talked about Tom a lot today, but you know, he had that interesting point, right? About making it easier to buy It is, you know, one of the most under talked about elements of success, you know, and I guess, you know, when it comes to loyalty, you know, in these discussions I've been having, you know, we talk a lot about purpose and how a brand makes you feel. And, and those are undoubtedly important, but you're right. Sort of one should not forget the most basic basic thing, which is really sort of, are you actually making it easy to buy? I think that's a really, really interesting insight. Um, from your perspective, you know, what retailers are running interesting, you know, and successful loyalty programs? Is there anything that's different or new happening at the moment that might be sort of, I guess, you know, slightly different to your classic, you know, um, spend and um, save or, you know, earn points? for every dollar spent or whatever. Is there anything interesting or novel happening in the loyalty space? Not really. Uh, it's kind of depressing. There's there's attempts at gamification. There is uh, you know, connection through social media. There, there's uh, discounting points. There, there's all kinds of things that you can do. But at the end of the day, it's only relevant as long as that person wants your product and they feel the price is worth worth it for that product. And so I, I, I don't think there's any loyalty program. I mean, I talk about Starbucks a lot, but at the end of the day, if I decide I don't want to drink coffee, I'm never going to use that, that app again. Or if I just get, uh, they're starting to have challenges with their quality, of, of the quality of their product. Mm. So I've found myself actually going to other coffee shops more often than I did in the past. So that loyalty program even though it's it's fantastic and I earn points and I can get free coffee, it's not as valuable to me now because the quality of their product and the quality of their experience is not as enjoyable as it used to be. And so, uh, yeah, loyalty apps are, are great as long as your employee, your, your customer loves you, but after that, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's almost like uh, I've read somewhere online, you know, loyalty is an outcome, you know, r rather than a, you know, thinking about loyalty as some sort of, you know, strategy, you know, might be sort of, as you said, a little bit of a misnomer where it's, you know, loyalty is an outcome of all the other things. Well, it is important because a customer will spend 60% more with a retailer in the third year of their relationship with that retailer than they will in the first year. So getting to that third year is really important for, for boosting your bottom line. So you do want to generate repeat business. But I think to yours and Tom's point, it is repeat business, not loyalty. And so you look at companies like Target, they're doing fabulous things to retain that repeat business, but they're doing it by uh, bringing Ulta Beauty into their stores, by bringing Levi's into their stores, creating Disney shopping shops in their stores. They're providing really relevant value for those customers, which generates that repeat business. Loyalty, as you said, is kind of the, the byproduct of that. But it isn't really loyalty. It's, it's okay, I'll take the benefits of, that you're offering me as long as you're also serving me in a way that I want to be served. I mean, it's the four P's of marketing, right? It's yeah. sort of, it's, it's not more, I mean, in, in some, and I guess, you know, it's funny because I've been reflecting a lot about, about the four P's over the last couple of days, as I've just been thinking about AI and all of the very hyperbolic things that are being said on LinkedIn about how everything will be tipped upside down. And I can't help but think that like, 
Probably not. Um, you know, right. Getting those, nailing those four Ps, you know, is probably still the best strategy for getting to loyalty and, or, you know, repeat business. It, it really is back to basics. Just the tools that you have available to achieve them are far more myriad and complex than they've ever been before. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Deanne, I could talk all day um, about this stuff, um, but I'm conscious of your time, so I thought we could move on to the quick fire round. And I'd like to start with your favorite campaign of all time. Now, typically this is, um, when I ask this question, it's a, a marketing campaign or a, an advertising campaign, but maybe we could stick to retail um, given our discussion. What's your favorite campaign of all time? God, it's so hard, so hard. There's so many. I I love Apple's shot on an iPhone campaign. I think that was a slice of genius because it's free advertising. It's getting people to use your product. It's it's showcasing the creativity of your customers. I mean, they their hashtag, the hashtag for that has almost 14 million users, uh, wow. million posts today. That's all for free. And it's continuing. There, there have been other hashtags that people have created using the iPhone word to sh further showcase on their own uh, those, those images. And user-generated content really is critical because it gets four times the click-through rates. And there, there's no cost almost to Apple to create it. But I think it was a slice of genius. Yeah, and it's funny. Like in in these discussions, you might not be surprised, but Apple comes up almost every time, um, whether it's shot on iPhone or Mac versus PC, or you know. So I think, yeah, I mean, all of us in this space, I think Apple are still the shining light and the sort of the the north star for where we should be um, in terms of branding. So that makes sense. Um, what do you think is the best retail brand in the world right now? Oh, these are such hard questions. <laughs> yeah, and you're making me pick, choose from my children. <laughs> That's mm. what it feels like. <laughs> Two that really stand out to me uh, would be, and, and they're not what you would think, LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn has an incredibly high level of trust, global user rate. It does what you uh, say it does. It's instantly recognizable, uh, and, and it's just become a part of people's everyday life. Adobe would be another one. Again, you see that 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 A logo, you instantly know what it is. It has a rapid following, high level of trust. They continuously innovate to stay in tune with their customer. I, I mean, I just think those two brands are doing an awful lot of things right. Yeah, no, those are those are two great ones. Um, what do you think the most overrated trend in marketing is right now? Oh, that's an easy question. Store as a medium. <laughs> are you tired of hearing that? <laughs> yeah, tell tell me more for those that aren't in the in the space. <laughs> Store as a medium makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you look at a company like Walmart last year, they had double the people in their physical stores as they did on their website, and so using bringing digital screens into the store to show ads in your store, just like you do on your website, makes a lot of sense. Brands will pay to run ads and get those ads in front of the eyeballs. And if the eyeballs are in physical stores, that's where the ads should be. And in return, in theory, retailers will make a recurring revenue off of these ads. So it seems like, wow, a new revenue stream. This is fantastic. The problem is, unless you're a Walmart, 
who has access to brands that sell in their stores. So you can force them to give you content for those screens. <laughs> you are really going to struggle to keep the screens filled. I think it's hmm. a great concept. It's going to be successful. It's just we're not there yet. It's far more complicated than, than retailers expected. They have to have um, content management systems that they don't necessarily perfect. They don't really have content access figured out at all. And the revenue is just not happening uh, right now. And so that is an overrated trend. It is not the, the second coming or the be all and end all. It is uh, a tool that needs a lot of, a lot of work. Yeah, that's really interesting. So let's take the opposite. So what's the marketing trend that no one's talking about that we really should be talking about? I guess the underrated. It's a hard one. Um, community building. Hmm. And you don't really hear people talking about it. You, you hear the C word every now and then, but not very often. But the power of building a community about, around your brand and getting people to support you and use you and pass through you as they they do an activity is is so underrated and yet so so powerful it's, it's probably one of the most powerful marketing tools when you think about um well shot on an iphone is is one example of that creating a community around photography with your iphone um, michael's is a craft store chain here in the u.s and they're trying to create a community around the the makers and the crafters in their stores and getting people to think about it as not just stuff I buy to, to knit a scarf with, it's I'm showcasing my creativity. And they're starting to create spaces in their store to come in and work on your project with other like-minded people. And brands aren't doing enough to create those communities and to really leverage the benefits of that. Yeah, there's a brand that reminds me of, there's a brand um, well, I mean, they're global now, but they started in the UK called Gymshark, which was making sort of um, apparel. And one of the things I saw in their London store was that, you know, it seems so obvious in retrospect, but there's a gym in the middle of the store. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I think it's it's what you're saying, right? It's like it attracts that kind of customer. It's, I mean, there's of course all the, these interesting tie-ins where you can, I think they even say you can, you know, you can put the gear on and you know, lift a barbell and see how it feels or whatever. But, you know, I think probably the bigger thing there is that community aspect that what I saw when I was there was, you know, there were people, you know, in the gym and then, you know, spending time at the, they had a smoothie bar in there. And I think in a way it sort of relates to a lot of the things you've been talking about today with, you know, rethinking what retail can be. So I think, you know, that, that's one that um, springs to mind for me anyway. Yeah, REI here in the States, they have a climbing wall inside their store and they give lessons in climbing and they sell all the products and and they've created a, a climbing community. So mm, it's, it's, it's clever. I mean, you know, one of the brands we talk about a lot, um, I think they're only in Australia, but, but it's a, a makeup brand called Mecca. But one of the services they do is that tying back to loyalty, if you're one of their members, they'll let you come in and they'll do your makeup for free. So if you're going to a wedding or, you know, uh, a big event, you know, you can go in there and get your makeup done. And again, I think that for me is such an interesting example of sort of walking the extra mile or something. I mean, it's sort of, you know, going beyond just selling stuff and actually providing value and creating that sort of sense of belonging. Oh, it really is. And, it, and it's pre-advertising almost. You're growing a community of people who uh, have just come to rely on your product. Right. Um, 
Who should I have on the show next? Who should I be talking to about these topics and themes? I would recommend John Hoyle from Souk, if you have not spoken to him yet. I think he's created a genius business model, and it is uh, very community-focused, very uh, critical to small and large brands. Um, Mom and pops can count on him. Direct-to-consumer companies can really leverage his space. I I just uh, have really admired what he's been building. Great. I'll, um, I'll have to be in touch. Deanne, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed the chat. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the On The Moment podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com 